load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate about the weights And make a podcast! Sumo is cheating! This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Welcome to episode 32 of Weekly Weights Yeah, can confirm it's number 32 Um, I'm Will I'm Alex And today we're going to do an episode we promised a long time ago. Um, I haven't actually gotten any messages asking where it's been yet, <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway. No one cares how you did in this comp. No, unfortunately. Um, you'll remember way back, do you know what episode it was that we did like the peaking plan yeah, one for me? It was 13. My one was number Episode 13, 13 peaking will. Yeah, that was yeah. 20 weeks ago. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, 20 weeks ago and we're still doing this. Um, and some of you are still listening that's even worse um, this week we said back then that after that comp because Alex is taking me into the strength fortress competition in I think three and a half weeks time it'll be two weeks time by the time I put, we put this out hey mm. yeah wow um, so because Alex is taking me into that competition what we said was um, we'll go through that plan um, that we had at that time for the competition that I did at city strength at the end of September um, we'll talk about what went well, what didn't go so well, what lessons we've learned and what we're going to change for this next period of training. So we can use this as a bit of a case study. If you haven't listened to that episode, um, you can go back and listen to it. And if you want to see that sample program, um, shoot me an email, will at willberkman.com. I'll send out a few batches of it. Um, yeah. Or just get in touch with me on my social media elsewhere. I can send that to you too. So you can at least know what we're talking about when we talk about it. But presuming you have either that program in front of you or a vague recollection of what we spoke about we can probably just about launch into it hey or if you were at the meet watching will and yeah. his spectacular performance yeah all three of you who were there <laughs> then you'll know what we're talking about so quick recap of the competition itself um uh not my best ever performance alex would you say no no <laughs> um i went six for nine i totaled 657 kilos for a grand total of zero personal bests. Um, <laughs> Alex is melting down laughing. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just public hanging and drawing for me. Um, yeah, so on paper, that's a pretty bad day. But in reality, um, only bench actually went badly, badly, I would say, on the day. Um, I missed my third squat, which would have been a five kilo PB on depth. Um, and I missed my third deadlift because it was too heavy. But had I hit that third squat, I could have taken a more conservative third deadlift and ended up hitting a total PB and PBs on squat and deadlift. And suddenly that day would have looked probably actually quite good. So yeah, looks bad-ish. Wasn't really that bad. Um, But how much of that was due to bad execution on the day and how much of it was due to preparation? That's the purpose of this episode. Um, Strap yourselves in, you'll find out. Oh, God, I bet you can't wait. Um, I've actually thrilled, honestly, because it's been way too long since we've spent like an hour and a half just talking about me. I think I might actually leave the room now and don't yeah. shoot me a text when you finish talking, well, yeah. finish, the, finish the monologue. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd love to actually have you here for it. I just, I want to see like the peaks and troughs in audience response. <laughs> put, me through my, as I do it. put me through my pain. <laughs> yeah. All right. So question one, we're going to do this in sort of like a, what was good, what was bad, what will we do different next time, respect, and then actually talk about what we are doing different next time because next time's in three weeks. So first things, um, what was good? So I would say in general in the prep that both my squat and deadlift went well. 
Um, I hit all of the numbers I needed to hit towards the end of the prep at about the right RPEs, like on those sessions that I would have called sort of indicator sessions. So in that respect, it's good, but I still think there are a few small changes I could have made that would have made me do better. Um, on day one of my first six weeks, so I had a 10-week preparation for those who haven't listened to the episode. Um, it was 10 weeks having come back from not really doing any powerlifting because I'd had a back injury. Um, on day one, I was doing front squats after my main squats. Um, and I'd say that wasn't necessary. I think in hindsight, they made me way more tired than they were worth. And if I wanted to do them in future, I'd probably do them on a separate day and probably make them even easier than they were. Although I did make them pretty conservative. The reason I was doing them at the time was to get some easy-ish quad work in. Um, and they also, they help me with things like keeping my knees traveling forward when I'm squatting and they work my upper back um, really well as well. But I found they were actually pretty hard on um, my lower back, the part that I'd strained. And after doing my main squat stuff, I was still like I was much too cooked to actually do them well. Um, and previously, I'd, I'd done them after my main squats, but I'd also only done 60% of the squat volume that I was doing in this, um, in this prep. So I think it was probably just a little bit too much after that. Um, yeah, so really, I just think they were kind of junk work that I could have done. I could have gotten the same probably training benefits with something like, I don't know, even just a leg extension um, with nowhere near as much tax on my body. And I was pretty beaten up through those six weeks, more beaten up than I think I normally would have been. So you did get you did get injured in the first couple of weeks, didn't you? You missed a couple of sessions of this 10-week block. Yeah, I had, um, I went, I think, I think I got three weeks of being fine and then the fourth week was was like a deliberately easier week and then at the start of the fifth week the same same back injury that i'd had prior to um or what felt like the same back injury i'd had prior to the prep flared up and i had to sort of i missed two of my five training days and um and sort of compressed a couple earlier into the next week but it resolved so quickly that i ended up missing only a couple of sessions but i was quite niggly throughout um, throughout the prep and I'm not sure how much of that was due to the fact that I basically went from not doing much powerlifting to doing lots and lots of powerlifting <laughs> um, and although it was pretty easy on paper it was still quite hard just the total workload I'm not sure how much of it was that versus just the fact that I probably wasn't entirely ready to jump right back into it if you could redo uh, that 10 weeks with this given the same circumstances prior what would you change in well, the first four weeks would you just ease yourself into it a little bit more um that's one of the final questions i can't can't remember my notes i'm not sure i'm not sure that i would ease myself into it more per se but with thing like i would have probably considered how systemically taxing some of the movements were so the front squats are a really good example of that where normally like i can squat all day front squat after and i'll go home and my legs are sore and my back's fine Whereas in those circumstances, I really didn't feel like that. And I just don't think I was prepared for it. So I'd have eased myself in more in that I'd have done only one axial loading like exercise per training session than I would have done less work. Um, just purely speaking squats only because the other two have their own problems that we can talk about when we get to them. Would you have followed that up with like a leg press or a pendulum or something? Yeah, something I think... more similar with less loading? Yeah, something like that. I think probably a pendulum would have been great. Um, like would have probably been a better choice and I know when we get to talking about what I have been doing for this um, for this period I was doing pendulums and I think they would have served about the per- same purpose 
just as well. Um, missing the upper back loading aspects, but again, given that I was doing like five or six loading sets of normal squats instead of three, probably getting plenty of upper back work anyway. So, so that's probably a trade-off that would have been worth it. Um, yeah, just from like a net perspective. Yep. Um, but yeah, anyway, I think the front squats were junk. I think they made me more tired than I had to be. And I think that extra back fatigue was carrying over into my main deadlift training day on the Wednesday, which, um, so I was doing that main squat day on the Monday, main deadlift day on the Wednesday. And again, normally my squat would never make me tired for deadlifting unless they were within the same session. Like I could squat pretty hard and deadlift the next day and be pretty fine. Um, but in that instance, it was definitely it was definitely affecting me a little bit as well. Um, but luckily the loads were submaximal enough that that didn't bother me at all. And in fact, it was only it was only when my back was already bothered that my deadlift was ever really upset. Um, the other the other exercise that I think I used that I wouldn't use in future, or at least under the same circumstances myself, was pause deadlifts on day five. Um, so I had my main deadlift loading day on the Wednesday, and then on the Saturday I had secondary deadlifts. And I said to you when we were doing episode thirteen that my positioning off the floor and my deadlift wasn't as good or consistent as normal and so i put in pause deadlifts because they really help you drill that um but i don't think they actually helped me um to be honest i could have just deadlifted better and lighter do you think it was the exercise choice or do you think it was like how you loaded them i don't think it was how i loaded them um how were they loaded i can't remember they weren't very hard so they started with they started with fives i'd have to check the loading but i reckon the fives might have started at like 180 or something, which yeah, so that's like 60%, yeah, like really very easy. And then I think they were planned, the heaviest five triples that I had planned for them were 215 or 220, which is again, not very hard um, for me at all. So yeah, it was not so much that it was, it was just that I think I was sl- like, they taught me to kind of be slow off the floor to the pause. Um, and the the thing that i've written down when i made these notes was that my um, my actual back strength and again maybe partly because it had been injured my back strength didn't feel as great as normal when i deadlift and something that i've usually been able to do half well is finish deadlifts when i've gotten out of position a little bit probably because i've done stuff like deficits for relatively long periods of time um whereas during this peak i didn't do deficits i've done deficits for like three weeks since i got home from overseas in march and so i found that actually finishing once i'd lost position was really hard so you know it was almost like i probably had to approach the problem the other way instead of being like can i fix my positioning with a pause deadlift i probably just needed to get broadly stronger through the hips and back yeah we just spoke about this off air though that only this 10 week lead in probably wouldn't have given you enough time to really develop any strength there anyway yeah that's probably true yeah so yeah i'm not really sure not sure if there was a perfect choice there or if there's just too little time but i don't like in future i don't think i'll be using pause deadlifts myself or at least certainly not when i have to make the decision because i just don't think don't think they helped okay what do we have next um okay the so there was a six-week period where i was doing five days of training which is what those two notes were from then the final four weeks i trained four times a week which is what i would normally do when i'm peaking um and i i've said here that my squat execution was actually really consistent um and even though i felt really fatigued like much more fatigued than i normally would um with a similar training load the loading was pretty much right because on my good days i lift like on my heavy days i lifted well 
on my light days, it was, you know, it was fine. I executed fine. They just felt hard. I felt like I got lots of confidence. I was really confident. So that was good. What were you going to say? Oh, okay. Um, but my deadlift was suffering a lot from fatigue and my back was touchy. Um, again, I still think the balance was fine and my heavy days were executed well. Um, something that you brought up in in episode 13 was maybe it would be worth having my light deadlift days easier. Um, I'm not sure whether in this instance it would have helped or not. Um, I think a lot of my fatigue when I was deadlifting in the end was just because I didn't have time for a deload across those 10 weeks, but it's something that I think would be worth trying and it's something that we're doing in the lead into the strength fortress. So so in that respect, I think squat and deadlift balance was was okay. I was just tired because it was tiring. Um, on a, a... Oh yeah, another positive actually was that my bench for the first six weeks was actually really good during my rep work, but I'd given myself top sets and they were too hard. So, so that's a negative. And I think if I dropped them five-ish kilos or done every top set that I had prescribed, even the triples that were at the time not very hard, as singles, that would have been smarter. I would have executed them better. And given that the top sets are kind of more of like a stepping stone than actually like a there for a hard training effect, that probably would have made them serve their purpose better. So um, for illustrative purposes, for listeners who don't have the program in front of them, um, having wanted to bench about 140 in the comp, I basically had top singles through the first through the or top sorry triples and then doubles through the first six weeks that were bridging the gap between what the singles I was going to do in the final four weeks were going to start at so if I was going to do top singles at 125 kilos say um, four weeks out from the comp then my last heavy double might have been 122 and just work backwards from there to say like my first triple was 115 or something like that um but yeah they could have just been singles the whole way through but you know have done three singles across and just had really good practice with those loads instead of making them hard yeah Yeah. and when we get to what what i've done differently is a lot of that yeah a lot of just making things easier and better yeah (laughs) better (laughs) versus harder and worse yeah um so anyway that was the that was the what was good section didn't really sound like a what was good section look i think (laughs) it's very easy to pat myself on the back and yeah, particularly me pat myself on the back. So I'm trying to I'm trying to give a balanced like, hey, there was good in there was good in this, but there's also stuff that that I could have done better on the things that I think were good. So broadly, what I think was good is that my squat and deadlift loading was about correct in the main lifts, and I lifted well on the days I was meant to lift well, and felt tired on the days that I was allowed to be tired, and it was still fine. Um, and bench, my rep work was good, but my top sets were too hard. So it's there's some good in there. But there was also some stuff that was just flat bad, which is this section. Um, so like I said, bench was too heavy on the top sets. I also think the secondary days were too heavy. So I had tempo descent benches um, and they were much too heavy and hard. Um, and that meant that I wasn't getting the technical practice that I could. Um, and what was I saying? Oh yeah, um, I was saying why my technique was bad and I said partly because always, that's funny. Um, <laughs> but but other reasons why my technique wasn't so good on those days and I don't think, and I think more or less, didn't deteriorate but certainly didn't improve during, during a peak like it normally does was just because the fatigue was excessive and also because I had a shoulder and pec tweak or pain that was there nearly constantly and elbow pain 
which I think was related to the bench being too hard and just because I'd, again, come in off six weeks of very high-volume work and not had a deload and then gone into 10 hardish weeks of loading. Do you think some of that elbow pain was caused to just high frequency of squatting? No, I don't think so because it was there there within the first six weeks when I was squatting twice a week. So, yeah, no. Um, No, I don't think so. And I don't typically get elbow pain now when I squat even four times a week from squatting. Because I, um, I, what I've seen, what I've observed from my lifters and just people I know is most people who get elbow pain don't get it from benching. Mm. Like it comes from something else and then it shows itself when they bench. Yeah, so I think when we talk to Jamie, he can talk about this. But yeah, typically people who lack external rotation at the shoulder um, or who position the bar poorly in their hands when they're squatting. Mm. But if you lack external rotation and if you lack a little bit of lower trap strength, I'm not entirely sure of the reason for that to be honest but um but both of them tend to end up causing a bit of elbow pain when you squat particularly low bar and particularly a lot um i don't have terrific external rotation or terrific lower trap strength they're both pretty shit but i never get elbow pain from squatting itself i think it was i think it was benching and just doing a really high volume of work for 16 weeks without any time off much of it was a little bit too hard and poorly executed yeah so whack all those things together, you can understand why your elbow might hurt. The perfect storm. Perfect storm of bench. But probably the, <laughs> probably the biggest mistake with my bench, um, which was one that you brought up again in episode 13, um, with some prescience. Alex, that means that you have foresight, which means you can see the future. Thanks for that, Will. No worries. Um, remember that time you asked whether stoic was related to stoicism? That was two weeks ago. <laughs> that was Yeah, that was recent. <laughs> Um, but the biggest mistake was that I based my bench estimations off of, off of the target of 140 kilos, um, rather than what my current abilities were. Um, and although I thought it was reasonable at the time because I benched 140 in training, um, at the start of the prep, I wasn't strong enough to do it, um, by any means. I reckon my estimated max at the start of, like... Yeah, had I maxed out at the start of that prep, I probably would have benched 130, which basically means in 10 weeks, I benched 130 again badly. Um, and you beat and the so, press call? Yeah, that was a gift. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that just dug me a hole fatigue-wise and ended up more or less going backwards just because bench was too heavy. And more evidence for that is that the previous prep, I'd actually undershot my bench estimation by a decent amount. And then I ended up being so far ahead of it by the time I got to comp that even though I'd planned to bench like 130 easily, I benched 135 and I did it like I actually did a shit bench attempt in comp and still lifted the 135 just fine. Um, so that's and probably a lesson that lighter is better in that respect. Yeah, you've spoken about this, about one of your clients the other day, James. Yeah. And how you set his bench number like way below what you thought he had. Yeah. And then he exceeded it by, you know, five or seven kilos or whatever. Yeah. And I, think, and I think I think that's like a, a great way to, to think about things. And we'll go into this when I go into what I've done for your bench. Um, but yeah, less is often more. Mm. And like even your client, Will Huang, who competed on the weekend, hope he listens because he's like, he's pretty enthused about weekly weights. He always asks about it. He's a legend. Yeah, shout, shout out, out Will. Will. So what, what was his heaviest bench in training? He did 90. And it wasn't that easy he did 90 for i think two singles and you know he maybe could have got a double but like it was it was pretty hard it was a nine nine and a half up here yeah like pretty hard what did he bench at the comp he benched 100 at like 
seven up here. Yeah, I'd, Alex just showed me the video of it, and he was definitely good for one hundred five, one hundred seven speculator. But like, that's a you know that's a huge jump, and it's from having just got chewed through like a lot of bench. And I'm often there hanging around while he's training, and his you know his quality of training has been good. So I think um, that's a lesson that I've given many of my own lifters, but probably could have taken myself was if I'd benched really conservatively all prep, I probably would have ended up further ahead than me just being like, no, nah, I'm going to like just work this into the ground and make up, make up the difference. Um, and even the, even the plan for Will, not Berkman, but Huang yeah. was to go 85, 90, 95. And we actually went 85, 92 and a half, a hundred. And when I sent him his attempt plan, he was like, Oh, I'm not going to get to go for a hundred. Like that's my goal. Like I've been wanting, been wanting to bench a hundred for ages. And I was like, look, I don't, know if it's there based on training and then it wasn't a day and he was absolutely pumped so anyway that's that's probably the biggest mistake is um that i should have based my estimations off what i could bench at the start of my prep and hope to plug the gap um yeah and hope to plug the gap rather than plans to plug the gap and failed um and yeah bench at comp like felt trash even with a deload felt terrible like everything hurt it was just bad so so that's a mistake. Don't make it. Um, then um, other things that didn't go so great. So I've mentioned a few times I didn't have a proper deload. Um, I also came in off having done six weeks of pretty hard bodybuilding work. So, you know, that's like 16 weeks of relatively hard training without a deload, which is probably part of why I suffered a couple of tweaks, being the back tweaks and the shoulder and pec issues that I'd, um, that I'd spoken about. And then two more, um, two more minor criticisms. One was I actually ran almost the exact same peak with close to the exact same numbers um, last time I competed uh, at the end of last year. But I was always taking Friday off and training something like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Um, so my Saturday bench and deadlift I always felt fresh and they were really good. Whereas in this instance, I was training Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and so because I had more volume in my Thursday benching day than most of my other ones, my Friday bench day felt bad and it gave me one day less off between my light and heavy deadlifts. And that also affected me a little bit. Wasn't a huge deal, but it's definitely something that I would consider for next time is just giving myself that little bit of extra space. Um, and then finally was that the overall program, even though I've run it before, was more fatiguing, both probably because I carried more fatigue into it than last time, but also probably just because last time I was doing it, I had just finished my uni degree. I had like four weeks to do nothing and basically hang out with the boys, wake up, go train and then chill and, you know, walk, walk my dog or something. Whereas now, like I almost work sometimes and, you know, like sleep less, do more. And yeah, it actually just adds up when you don't have as much recovery resources at your disposal. So anyway, those are the negatives. Alex, any more negatives? Um, My hair. Bench. <laughs> bench, yeah. Do we talk about bench yet? <laughs> we've, we've had a go at bench. <laughs> I can't wait for Alex to drop. He's been talking about doing it for ages, um, but he's struggling to find a word that rhymes with bench. He wants to drop a weekly wage diss track on me at some stage, just record it and post it on Instagram. Um, so if you have any words that rhyme with bench that aren't wench or hench or wrench, um, then, then send them stench. to stench. <laughs> but your bench has a stench. It does have a stench. It's, it's appalling. You smell it before you see it when I bench. Um, <laughs> all right. 
Now, what would I do differently next time? Um, give yourself 30 seconds to contemplate it. Now, not 30 seconds. That's an excessive amount of dead air. I'm just thinking I'd give the listeners some time to think about what they'd do differently. Were they me? All right, that's enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, squat, I wouldn't change a lot. But something that I, um, I'm increasingly noticing is that um, easy squats seem to help me. And so something I might have done is squat three times in the first six-week phase, but make the second two sessions easier. So my, I had a main squatting day, which was heavy squats and then front squats, and then a secondary squatting day, which was pin squats and then light squats. And I'd probably split the pin squats and light squats across two days and maybe even make the light squats like 5%, 10% easier again. Um, because I think easy squats seem to help me heaps, provided I still have some hard squats in the mix. So that's something I'd think about doing. I don't think it'd be the most important change, but the rest I thought was pretty good with squats. Bench stuff we've already said. Um, project off what you can currently do. I also think more contrast and difficulty between hard and easy days is important. Um, I had a third bench day for my first six weeks, and it was incline. But I think having a flat bench would um, would have been better. Um, doing more singles, um, and I abruptly go from feeling fine benching to suddenly just feeling really shitty, and that's both within sessions and one session to the next. So having really easy days in there is probably smart because even sometimes I'll come and do what should be an easy secondary day and then the next day I'll do a hard day and it feels really shit. Um, and yeah, and so I could still probably include some easy heavy-ish work before super duper easy work afterwards. Um, and then deadlift, the thing I said was don't do pauses, maybe deficits, but Alex made a pretty good point that I don't think I had time to see much benefit from them. So probably just easy deadlifts instead of pause deadlifts on my secondary day for the first six weeks and then yeah if i could space my hard and easy session one day further apart in the final few weeks that would have helped a bit as well um yeah that and also probably if i could have worked a deload in there that's one thing i think i definitely would have benefited a lot from it's just where i could have done it and had the time i don't know yeah cool all right why don't we take a quick break and then we can come back and alex can say what we've changed we can do a bit of reflection on what's working what's not working all that stuff Cool. Yeah, sounds good. Lovely. Break time. Weekly Weights. All right, we're back. It's Weekly Weights. Will and Alex. And before we get started on talking about my programming, I have a bone to pick with Alex. I want to put this out publicly. You can message me and tell me what you think. It doesn't count as eating a whole pizza when you eat it in more than one sitting. So Alex came over today. And he was like, Will, do you want a pizza? I'd just eaten it. And I said, no, thanks. Are you going to get a large? And he said, yeah, I'm going to get it. And I'm going to eat the whole thing because I'm not a little bitch because I was going to have a slice. I believe I said it was because uh, because I'm the big dog that I am. Right. Sorry. Um, yeah. Good on you, Alex, for correcting me there. Obviously, don't want to offend anybody who'd be upset by the term bitch. But that's what Alex said. And then he proceeded to eat three quarters of a pizza and say, I'm going to finish this later. That doesn't count as eating a whole pizza. If somebody says, I smashed a burger for lunch and has literally half a burger and then finishes the other half later. They didn't smash a burger. They smashed half a burger. So I, never you, said, I never said I was going to smash a pizza. You said, <clears throat> I'm actually going through my text messages. It does not count. This is not what you said. This is just true. It doesn't count as eating a whole pizza in one go unless you actually eat the whole pizza. He says, 
Yeah, I'll smash a solo large like the big dog I am. I said, lol, I'll pass. Thank you. He says, easy, bitch. So not only did you say bitch, but you lied. So yeah, anyway, guys, let me know what you think. Um, but yeah, Alex Hayes, biggest fraud in the pizza eating business. You know, I just own up and get a medium next time. Get a schmedium if I you believe, can. I believe I called. I believe I only used the word smash because you getting a large to smash solo is what you asked me. Doesn't before. matter. It's this. It's not entrapment for me to ask you. You could have said I'm going to get a large and eat most of it. Well, I wasn't gently. sure how hungry I was, William. Well, you know, yeah. In that Arsehole. case, get a schmedium next time and go half and half between a plain toppingless small half and a proper pizza, baby. Let's talk about lifting. Yeah, that was pathetic by you. I'm offended. <laughs> I'd be offended too if I listened to this podcast and found out one of the hosts was a liar for one and couldn't eat a whole pizza for two. Not not, not a liar, a poor predictor of the future. <laughs> well, that doesn't bode well for what we're about to talk about, which is Alex's predictions of my performance and what I needed to change. So, Will, I'm predicting Will's performance. Right now. Yeah, okay. Let's hear it. Bad. Yeah, well, I'm going to make that happen <laughs> because I don't want to leave my boy hanging. <laughs> All right. So I thought I just wanted to say that because I thought you didn't want me to be right. So you'd actually go out and do well, oh, no. which is what I want anyway. No, I'm going to reverse psychology because, bro, like I can't. I thought I was reverse psychologying you. Oh, well, yeah. Double cross. <laughs> I might just do bad and that's, that's just the way the universe is wired. No, I think, yeah, you tell me what are the... What were probably the, when you were coaching me at, um, at City Strength and just observing my training and things and through the discussions we've had, were there any issues that you saw that I haven't addressed so far? Um, we'll go lift by lift. <clears throat> um, on the squat, just inconsistency with um, bottom position. So like hitting different spots, whether that be the right depth or whether that be forward or back like knees too forward knees too back sitting too back sitting too far back sitting too far forward whatever just a little bit inconsistent with um each rep and i even noticed that when you're warming up like when you did 70 for five whatever they're all different and like your one i think what was your last warm up 210 uh, 210 yeah so 220 your, your 210 will look different to 190 look different to 170 etc so like i think the first thing was just a little bit inconsistent in squats in squat technique um on bench very inconsistent technique um bad control of your shoulders um and generally training was just too hard which you mentioned earlier for bench deadlift actually fine i would, wouldn't change much for deadlift other than making the easy days a little bit easier but not like not like on the podcast on episode 13 i think i said i would have made them like 15 or 20 percent easier which that's probably that was probably an over exaggeration probably like five look i think broadly agree i don't i don't think during training that i was as inconsistent in squatting at all as on the competition day and i think you'll remember i said to you on the competition day i feel really weird i'm like loosey-goosey when I squat, do you remember that when I was warming up? Yeah, I do. Yeah, um, and yeah, I actually felt I felt very strange, strange on the competition day because I usually feel like I have. You you'll be able to describe this feeling. It's like you have tension in your hips and in your back and stuff, and not in a bad way. Like 
I can hit depth comfortably, but it's almost like I feel like I'm a spring and I can come back up. And on the comp day, it was like, I just feel like I'm dropping and there's just no resistance there anymore. Do you know did, you I mean? do, did you do some extra like aerobics or something beforehand? Like in the, in the days <laughs> That's prior. a reference to my unbelievable run. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that might have done it. So if, any, if anybody hasn't seen this, it's my only story highlight on my Instagram. I was... Well, actually, I wasn't challenged. I made the bet myself by one Jules Nanetti of episode three fame. The, the old uh, Barney Stinson challenge accepted when no one made a challenge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, on the Monday of the comp that I could run across the, the park in Redfern and back a distance of at least three kilometers in 45 seconds or less. Um, I missed by just under a second on the first go. Uh, like max effort 45 second sprint so i gave myself about three or four minutes off and then went again um and succeeded so there's a really inspirational very funny series of um snaps of that on on my instagram but yeah that might have it might have had some effect in having me feeling off what was funny is an hour later i did my first taper session the one where i hit my squat opener and deadlifted like 220 for singles and i felt unbelievable Crazy, like, post-activation potentiation. <laughs> BAP? Yeah, from my sprint. Ask Robert, ask Robert what he, th- what he thinks about that. He thinks it's crap, doesn't he? No, he no, loves he PAP. Loves That's right. That's why he does his light squats. He loves PAP. Loves PAP. Okay, so anyway, the issues were inconsistency in bottom position of squatting, which I think is, like, at least partly fair. Um, bench everything being bad, which is probably about fair. And my deadlift was mostly okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So then, how about fixing them? So what well, changes? I mean, we can talk about what happened on the comp day and what caused you to give up kilos, yeah, and then sure. how we go about fixing that. All right. Um, so, like I said, inconsistency in bottom position on squat. First two squats are really good, both convincing. Three white lights. Two white lights. Remember, Glenn. So I got two white lights in my That's first two right. squats. One of the side refs redded me both times, and I was I was surprised, but also like, okay, at least he's consistent. And then on the third one. I got two red lights from the other two judges and a white light from the guy who'd given me reds for my first two. And my third squat was plainly higher than my first two. Like, I was rightly red-lighted. Um, and I said to him, I was like, Glenn, that was higher than the other two. And he was like, oh, I look good to me, mate. And I was like, okay, well, thank you. Um, shout out to Glenn. Shout out, Glenn. But yeah, that was. I mean, that's the definition of inconsistency in the bottom position if you get reds for depth on one squat and not the others do you think you were like scared and cut it or do you think you would you just cut it no i think i just cut it to be honest i probably like yeah i didn't feel scared i actually felt when i unracked that squat good you know how sometimes this happens to me from anything above about 215 to 220 onwards it'll feel heavyish on my back but sometimes it feels very heavy and like stable and sometimes it feels like oh fuck this is gonna be a bit average Mm. well my 240 was more in the oh this is going to be a bit average range and my 250 was like actually this is really wedged in on my back like i'm going to give this a pretty good crack so so no it wasn't so much that i cut it um yeah i probably just misestimated my own depth i was probably more tentative on the descent than i should have been but again i don't know that that's a it wasn't so much that i was like fuck i'm not going to stand up with this i was just a little bit slower than i should have been yeah the actual squat itself um was e- it was quite easy, like by your standards. Yeah, but it m- maybe but it was it easier because I yeah. cut yeah, seven it, inches of depth. If you had actually <laughs> squatted to the rules, it might have been harder. It actually wasn't that egregiously high. It was no, it was it was very close. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, no, maybe. Anyway, I actually think I did it very well, except for the depth bit, which is important. Yeah, so not well at <laughs> yeah, all. Then so, yeah. avoid. 
It's like, yeah, I shot a really sick three-pointer in the wrong basket. Yeah, I shot a sick three-pointer with my foot on the line. Yeah. All right, never mind. So, yeah, that was a problem. Um, yeah, so anyway, inconsistencies in depth. So, um, and then on the bench... My opener was hard on bench, eh? It was... Yeah, it was, it was just... It was just wobbly, bad shoulder control, just elbows all over the place. Um, and deadlift was fine, but I don't think he tried on the third attempt, which we can get into later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so wait, what do you want me? To, what do you want me to mention first? Hmm? Well, what do you want me to mention first? What we're we doing? Well, yeah, let's talk about how how we're going to go about fixing the issues that we've seen, lift by lift. So we'll start okay. with the squat. So you use pin squats to kind of teach yourself to stay over the middle of your foot and drive the bar back out of the bottom position right yeah more or less so I think part of the reason that your depth was inconsistent was because of pin squats okay I can see your logic but talk me through your logic so when you do pins and this is the right application of pin squats you want there to be no noise as you hit the the rails on the bottom of the rack which means you're going to have to slow yourself down into the into the rack yep which means when you then don't have the pins there, your speed's a little bit inconsistent versus when you do have the pins there. Yeah. So because of that inconsistency in speed, you have inconsistency in where you end up in the bottom. And I think part of that was caused by doing pins in the first place. Okay, to play devil's advocate, do you think, like I didn't do pins for the final four weeks of my prep. So that means I had four weeks of squatting four times a week without pins there to give me that guide for depth and on my light squat days I'm practicing tempo into the hole do you think that was enough to undo it? Um, well obviously not I mean obviously not provided that your logic is entirely correct I think I think what you said is correct in that you yeah you are taught to control down to the pins and the pins are an indicator of depth I don't necessarily think that it follows that there is like a like a four week latency period if you get rid of the pins and practice squatting to depth um, that that effect will stay there. Yeah, I I agree. But the difference in application that I've used in my programming is I just swapped pins for pause squats. Yeah. So in that your the cueing is a little bit different in a pause squat versus a pin squat. Like they have a similar, you have a sort of similar reason for using them. Mm-hmm. In that you want to reinforce good position at the bottom and you want to teach yourself to stay straight from a dead stop. Yeah. Um, which is the same application, but in a pause squat you actually want to drop into the bottom and then just stop like you would on a normal squat you want to drop into the bottom but you just hold your position yeah you actually so hit it harder yeah you actually hit it with the same speed that you would on a normal squat and then you just freeze and then you come up from there mm. so I think using that should help you be a little bit more consistent when we take them away yeah I think I think that's true that you hit the hole harder makes pauses probably more applicable particularly late in a prep but the other thing that I found has made them really helpful for me which is funny because like I'm, I would consider myself relatively decent at grinding through lifts, but being having that pause and being slow out of the hole has made me better at grinding in position as opposed to grinding out of it because even like this week, I sent you my squats. I can't remember what they were, like pauses at 197 or something. I think it might have been 200. It was, it was in the 190 to 200-ish range, so in the like 80-ish percent range um five sets of three like 80 percent of my normal squat five sets of three and you were looking at them saying these are pretty easy and i and i was saying yeah but like they feel hard because pauses always feel hard Mm. but a good lesson from them has been to actually just squat properly Mm. 
even when it feels hard and to be able to maintain that position and keep the bar moving and accelerating when you don't have much momentum behind you and when it gets heavy you're going to have that feeling right yeah so i think your your use of pin squats was a correct use of pin squats in that you're usually fail your squat because you shift forward Mm. so you're trying to keep yourself to try and teach yourself to stay over the middle of your foot but i think we can do that better with poor squats and that's why i've used them yeah this block um what else uh other issues in my squat so probably well depth consistency also comes back to the poor squats but the other thing is that at the moment i'm doing i haven't done a hard squat in like i can't remember when but that's also probably just because it's a quick turnaround but i'm doing lots of easy squats lots of rep work where the focus at the moment is just on moving the bar quickly and consistently yeah so i think the the like overarching theme of what i want will to do in the 10 weeks that i'm working with him into this comp is just be better not stronger don't necessarily do more just do things better and with a higher quality yeah and i think in 10 weeks there's probably not time for me to get markedly stronger at squatting and deadlifting but there's plenty of time for me to get really good practice in and actually like do a squat that reflects how strong i am on the day yeah as opposed to one where i'm like oh if i hadn't fucked that up i probably could have done better you know? yeah so one, one of, when i actually told jules that i was gonna take over your programming for this comp she was like oh give him like all this upper body work and get him like all jacked and all this stuff and i was like what i said to her was like i don't really think there's enough time to actually make a huge improvement in like hypertrophy or strength well, particularly if you're pretty much masked out it's like he's nearly dropped the mic and walked away. Yeah, carry on. I know what you mean. Yeah, I don't. There's not. There's not enough time to really elicit any sort of adaptation or response from training. Versus what we can do is just teach him a good movement pattern and just reinforce good movement patterns. And that's kind of the overarching theme of this peaking block. Is like Will's been lifting for a long time. He's got a lot of muscle and he has a lot of strength under there. But we're trying to just bring out the best performance that we can yeah and i think without actually making him a lot stronger yeah in my execution something that i've tried to do in particular on squats because i it's been a long time since i've done literally an entire block of squats that i thought were really easy so something that i'm trying to do is execute my reps well and almost reflect between reps and think what am i going to do to make my next rep better but also you know when i was squatting 175 or something for fives in my first week which like i've done 175 I think I've done 180 for three beltless eights. We did Still 180 for hard. 20. Yeah, I did 180 for 20 that time and then sculled a litre of milk. That was stupid. Yeah, it was really dumb. Um, and like 12 of them were terrible. Doesn't matter. I still did it. Um, but but like I was squatting 175 for fives and so, so I just thought, well, when I stand up, I'm going to try and stand up really fast and just put like 210 kilos of force into 175. Um, and... And so it's been quite gratifying to be like, when I try and move fast, I move fast, but like I can actually do it quite well. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, having stuff that's been not just a little bit sub-max, but like truly sub-maximal has been nice in that respect. It's given me some freedom to practice and yeah, like actually reflect between reps and then just try hard at doing it well as opposed to try hard to lift in general. Yeah. You know? So if, if we um, look at the layout for squats, first day of the week is the main squat session, mm-hmm. which was... Um, a single or a couple of singles? Um, this week it was singles, but up until now it's been, I think, one or two triples at something easy. Yeah, so the first three weeks was a triple and then three by six or four by six? Four by six. Yeah, and that was all just cruisy work, just getting in quality work. Mm. And then we did a deload in week four. Yeah, thank God. Um, and then 
Was it, has it been one single or two singles? Two singles since ramping singles or the no, same, same load? Weight. So same like, load. So two singles at what was it two fifteen, and then two singles at two twenty two and a half. Is yeah, that right? exactly. Yeah, and then followed by four fives. Yeah, yeah, and then on the easy day in the first, um, in the first three weeks, it was poor squats and then light high bar squats. Yeah, and by light high bars, like ten percent lighter than I've done previously for beltless tens. So and I was doing them for tens with a belt. Yeah. So like very easy. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the, those were kind of serving the same purpose as the front squats that you had in your last block. Yeah. Um, just loaded really light so there's not a lot of fatigue other than on the quads mm-hmm. and loaded light enough so that you don't have any shift at all so we're trying to teach that um, holding of knee position that knee, knees forward cue um, and then in the subsequent three weeks was poor squats followed by just lighter low bar squats which is just really just practice work yeah but that's that day even though it is an easy day I reckon it's mentally as hard as the first day because there's four, four sets of poor squats and then three by four five i think i was it seven or yeah i think it was seven or eight sets of squats last yeah. week it was like it was still quite a lot of sets of squats and particularly like like i was saying if i'm quite mindful about it it's like it's a bit of mental strain actually i think like um, one of the things that i'm trying to get you to focus on is like is taking everything seriously yeah. because like in the past you kind of just like oh, it's light it's easy you just go through the motions do like one warm-up set and then off you go yeah. and then you just do like average squats all the time and you're like eh, it's fine it was easy yeah and i actually do kick my clients asses about this a little bit when i'm like if i give them an easy day and then they do it really shittily i'm like well you know like you just you made that harder and worse yeah than it could have been yeah that's yeah. one one thing that um when i was being coached by handy that he used to do is um when i used to do like a dp style program i would always have the middle middle day of the week was like a he called it a technique day or like a focus day or something yeah and i think just having that label on it made me really focus and i think that actually helped me develop my technique in the first place can you label one of my bench days a strong day and one of my squat days a depth day or something <laughs> and then we'll, then we'll be <laughs> we'll be home and hosed mate not a strong day like a okay day <laughs> yeah just middling yeah. anything just don't um, be shit yeah but no i think yeah, I think what you're saying is right. Like, definitely, I've been guilty on my easy squat days of taking it too easily. And partly because I'm like, oh, it's mentally less taxing for me to just go in and just do whatever. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to get... It's not about getting, like, fired up and, you know, getting, like, aggressive and all that kind of stuff. It's just really about switching on for 30 seconds or just, like, being, you know, there for 30 seconds. Yeah, you've got to actually be present. Versus being absent, yeah. Well, it's not a, like, it's not a technique day if you're not mindfully doing it for good technique yeah yeah um yeah so that's that's a fair criticism so so it's been yeah poor squats followed by easy squats and the reason for the easy squats after the poor squats is yeah just drilling technique um something we spoke about and the and the rhythm i guess because your rhythm changes a little bit when you do the pauses even Um, with the speed into the hole it's still good to practice actually getting that bounce yeah yeah and the easy squats are so something that i did in my first six weeks of my last prep was like pin squats then take the pins away and then do easy squats to try and drill that same thing. But the easy squats were loaded at the same weight as the pins. And so by the time I got to them, they were like, they were still easy, but they felt kind of moderate. Whereas these ones are like 10% lighter again mm. than the poor squats. So they're, they're easy, easy, as opposed to just like kind of easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else about squats? No, that's it. And oh, so something else I should mention actually, probably in line with what Alex was saying about not really having time to try and whack on heaps of muscle or get me heaps and heaps stronger is the accessory work 
is relatively conservative. So on my main squatting day, I was having three sets of pendulum squats, which were still pretty heinous, Alex, because you had me three sets of 20. Yeah, and like 20s. Like, yeah, you like 20, well, light 20s. I'm good at reps. So when you say three sets of 20, I'm like, that's like my 5RM just doing it 20 times. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Will's, Will's 3RM is the same as his 30RM. Yeah, it's like, I don't just have a rep drop off. strength curve. Yeah. If I was, oh, fuck, I should do CrossFit. Except that I can't jump, so any any workout where you have to do like a box jump or something, I just have to <laughs> I have yeah, to strike a, it out. You got a credit card vert. Um, yeah, but <laughs> credit card, I've never heard that before. Um, yeah, but I only had I only had pendulums, and I don't even know if I have another leg accessory. Um, I have a couple of hamstring accessories because I'm not doing much deadlift volume, but I don't think I have. Don't think I have another quad accessory, do I? Because on my secondary squatting day, I just have the squats and then back. Yeah. Yeah. So, so not really doing a whole lot of work outside of the squatting, which also keeps me fresher to squat well, which is kind of nice. Bench press, lots of changes. Yeah. So, for bench press, um, the Will's biggest problem has been just developing bad habits over the last few years. Mm. So, like he isn't he isn't built to bench press. Narrow shoulders, long arms, little chest mass. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, genetics aren't in his favor. And I think he's kind of used that. Shout out mum and dad. Fuck you. <laughs> but big Dave Burke's got a big barrel chest on him. No, he's, that guy's never given me anything in his life. <laughs> Where'd you get that? <laughs> we say while we're recording at the Chateau Berkman. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you no. say. Honestly, I don't yeah. say. Anyway. Fuck you, dad. Um, not not the most genetically blessed bench presser is Berkman, but um, I think he's kind of used that as an excuse to just be bad at bench press. And that's kind of just always how it's been uh, with Will. And I think a couple of years ago, actually, you made good progress into junior nationals um, in 2015, doing like a really easy bench cycle. You actually did, I remember, you did such an easy bench cycle into the that comp at Penrith. Remember that comment Penrith you did yeah. in March? Yeah. And then you did the one in um, August at Nats? Yeah. And you did like, I want to say like eight months of pretty cruisy conservative bench work and your bench went up like 10 kilos. Wasn't that the time when I failed 100 kilos for five fives like four times? No, no, that was after Nats into Oceana's in Uzbek where you like I'm didn't improve. it was into Nats. No, nah, it wasn't. Okay. I do, I do remember... Um, this is a shout out to Will Lee who was um, who was helping me at the time I was saying to him man bench is always so hard and he was like why don't we make it easier and then it, it definitely helped that was into the, that was in the lead up to Nats you're definitely that was in right the lead up to Nats. yeah so in the lead up to Nats I noticed that your bench training was actually quite easy and you had a good bench performance and like you had a goal of I think it was 117 and a half yeah and I hit it and, I had and you hit it and you probably had two and a half in the, in the tank so like that kind of gave me an indication that will benefits from doing lots of high quality easy bench training um and i think because he's been loading his bench too heavy over the the last probably two years just in general his technique has kind of fallen gotten worse and worse and like fallen away from what i would consider to be good um more and more so like technical technical changes that i've made the first one was bringing his rack height down to eight and getting him to start with his shoulders closer to the rack so what that does is kind of um, makes it his unrack a lot shorter and a lot less movement so that his shoulders can stay in place a lot better. Um, we've thrown in a belt 
Yeah, which, I don't know. To be honest, I'm not really sure whether the belt does much. To be like, as in, I don't feel that it helps me, but I also, I definitely doesn't hurt. And just the process of me putting my belt on, this sounds really silly, but going through that methodical, I'm putting my belt on now to go do my set actually just makes me think about benching as opposed yep. to just lying down and benching. Yeah. Um, I've noticed since you put the belt on versus when you had it off, you're a lot more rigid from like shoulders down. Like there's yeah. a lot more movement in the legs and in the torso. Yeah. But again, I don't know. I'm not thinking about my torso at all now. Like I'm, shout out Craig Allen who, um, who said this. I'm literally thinking like toes, like toes out, knees out, I think was the cue he gave me. Or he goes, he thinks like toes through the front of his shoebox, knees out. And so when I lie down, like I've, I plant my feet where I am set, like where they're going to be when I bench, pull myself into my setup. And then once the bar is out, then I lock my lower body now by thinking like toes out, knees out. And the belt is just there. You know, the belt probably helps, yeah. but I don't think about it. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's just an extra change. Mm. Um, and I've changed where you, where you start the barbell in your hands. Yeah. So you've brought it from being the bar sort of in front of your touch point. Sorry, behind your touch point, close like to your close eyes. close to my face, yeah. yeah. Close to your eyes. And now it's sort of directly under your touch point. Mm. So if you go back and listen to Fixing the Bench the Fixing the Bench podcast. Yeah. What was that? 21? 20? I don't know. I don't know. So long ago. Um, All the things that I talk about in there with starting with your joints stacked and finishing with your joints stacked so your elbows directly under the barbell mm. on the bottom position. Those are the kind of things that I'm trying to get Will to focus on um, now in this block. So the first, the first of those is starting with the bar forward, which has helped keep his shoulders down in depression. Um, and then from there, instead of tucking his elbows in to get the bar down to his chest, he's pulling them out, which keeps them under the bar. And then from there, he's trying to press in more of a straight line than he was previously. Yeah. Um, um, just because just this is probably, well, maybe it's interesting listening. Um, when I first began doing that with Alex, I was having to do a lot of like internal cues. So like body focus cueing. So I was thinking a lot of things like, you know, bring your elbows out. Um, or bring your hands out, bring your hands in and stuff when I was benching and trying, like I was almost thinking of pushing towards my feet to make the bar go up straight because I was so used to slinging it towards my head. Yeah. Um, and I had, it was maybe three or four weeks of really mindfully doing that and having to think about, yeah, every little part of my body. And then as that started to stick, I've been able to transition away from cues about where my elbows go and stuff like that and actually just think straight down, straight up. And on my good bench days, I like I just bring the bar out now and think straight down, straight up, and my my joints kind of just do what they have to do. Yeah. Um. But that I'm casting my mind back to uni because Alex is actually sitting in front of a stack of my university notes right now, and I did a subject on motor control and learning. And yeah, internal um, internal cueing I think is actually a good way to learn technique under like lowish demand but then when you actually need to execute at higher levels external cues are better which is one of the reasons a lot of coaches like saying things like push through the floor rather than whatever it is like straighten your knees when you're squatting um same thing seems to have been true for my bench is when i was having to learn i was having to think a lot about where my body is and now i just think of bar goes down bar goes up and most of the time they're mostly okay kind of yeah yeah anyway alex carry on yeah so all these technique changes have kind of been reflective in how I've been programming them. So I've, I've given you from the first block three singles on three separate bench days. So nine singles a week. Yeah. 
first one being um, easy, second one being hard, third one being moderate. Yeah. And I say hard, not really that hard. Like more relative like, to each other. Yeah, more like very easy, moderate, and relatively easy. Yeah. Like in, in that order. Um, and the reason for these practicing is singles is because Will's rep, rep work tends to get sort of further and further away from what we want towards the end of a set mm. so like the first one or two are generally okay and then they get a little bit worse um, so on the first bench day it's three easy singles and then I think three or four sets of tempo bench yeah tempo yeah so tempo is just teaching him um, where the elbows are in relation to the bar it's, on, it's now set. four sets of three but I think it was initially six sets of four it was actually lots. Really? That's heaps. I know. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> um, Are you it, sure? Yeah, man. I was telling you. I was like, man, doing like six sets is hard. This book no, was four fours. Really? Well, yeah, where's three, the day where I was doing like 35,000 sets? That's the last day. Oh, oh yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, those that was, that was a pause though. Yeah, different. Yeah, anyway, so the first day, pause bench for three singles, easy, followed by tempo bench, which is really, really light. Four fours for four fours, and then the next day is the harder bench day, which is three singles again, and then touch and go eights, um, and that's just getting some work in. But again, those were loaded very light. Mm-hmm. Like the last week was four eights at ninety five, and I've, you've probably done like eights at one hundred five or one hundred seven or something in the past. Yeah, I think I've I've done sixes up to one ten, one twelve, and eights yeah. to like one hundred five. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the final bench day is three singles and six fours paused. Followed by close grip boards for three eights. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of bench. That is twelve sets of bench. Yeah. Anyway, so in total, a lot of work, but most of it not very hard. Mm. If not all of it, not very hard. Can I ask one question? Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about this this week because I was having an existential crisis because my my second bench day felt fucking terrible this week. It's happened the past two weeks. I've had a good bench day on day one and a bad bench day on day two. Um, why have the harder bench day immediately after the easier bench day the easy technique one even if it's like pretty easy why have easy then hard why have it like that mm. um, well it's an extra day of the first day is an extra day of pressing which shouldn't be really creating that much fatigue so you shouldn't be feeling it on the day two and if you are then we probably need to change it okay well yeah um I like I did that for my last peak and so something I was thinking to myself is maybe if I went hard easy hard easy that would be better than easy hard easy hard or does the easy day just need to be easier but past two weeks it's also just been because my shoulder was a bit dicky last week my second bench day has felt average and then I got grumpy um yeah I mean like alternatively I could do heavy squat day Monday with no bench and then bench two three four so it's bench Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, but I don't think that would be better because I think having the break from break from two to four is probably better because they're the harder bench days. They should be spaced. So like it makes sense in the like it makes sense to have hard bench on day hard, hard easy moderate. Yeah, yeah. But then in the inverse, you go Friday moderate, Monday hard. So like they're close together. Yeah, but like as in you could back up, you could back up moderate two days off Saturday Sunday hard on Monday and that's probably that's still okay yeah, yeah anyway something to think about I like um, having the the thing is I like having the heavy squat day as like the focus on the Monday yeah for and sure and the heavy bench day as the focus on the next day yeah and then the heavy deadlift day as it's focused like 
first yeah on the heavy deadlift day yeah that's a consideration i have when i'm writing for my clients as well is like i don't want to give them two lifts that are equally stressfully hard yeah in the same day and i also think it's good to have contours in your week which is kind of why like day three being moderately easy in this program is nice like if you have contours in your week where one day is hard one day is like day two for me it's my hard bench day but it's still not a very hard day of training you know day three is not that hard and then suddenly day four is hard again that sort of it gives you like some psychological respite on the way through and i think i think bryce lewis posted about this probably like six months ago on his instagram where he actually found some found some research saying that like differences in perceived difficulty of training sessions were related to something like client adherence and also just like um like psychological stress or something that was reported by athletes um so there's probably like there's probably some benefit to doing it a bit like that in general i don't know yeah something to look uh look into for the next block which i'm going to write soon yeah can you like make it so that i bench heaps or not as in heaps of volume as in lots of weight as much as you can yeah well, that's not very much as much it? as you're capable of yeah All sure. Right. so anyway that was that was day one you kind of covered so easy bench actually you've basically covered the layout um difference between bench and squat is there is a there is more accessory pressing by a decent way um on my main bench day so on pauses followed by touch and goes there's also weighted push-ups and then on day four there's also the close grip bench press and there's tricep stuff on both those days as well um yes there's a little bit there's a little bit of um of additional pressing work why is there additional pressing work here but there's not additional leg work because your upper body is a weakness compared to your lower body okay um and in terms of just how much volume it can tolerate yeah and and that and the upper body muscles are smaller so it can tolerate yeah more see this is something i i don't think i don't know that i i don't think i'm an anomaly to be honest i think people are more inclined to believe they're anomalies than than is statistically the case Dad, did you see um, Tom Clark's story yesterday? Yeah, I told him about that. I told him about that because I'm reading a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman that actually speaks about that as a fallacy. Um, I'm not sure what Tom's story said about it specifically, but the case that Kahneman brings up um, is people disregard statistical probability when it when it conflicts with their intuitions, and so they were shown the results of of a study where they basically had people in booths. And then they heard what sounded like somebody in a booth adjacent to them, like having a fainting episode or something. And then they monitored how many people actually went to help and found that the majority of people didn't, like the vast majority. And then they showed another subset of people footage, um, like an interview with supposedly one of the subjects from that. And they said sort of how probable is that this person went to help. And because they'd sort of, um, because they'd seen the face of this person, people rated them as very likely to have gone and helped. Like, you know, they thought this person's lovely. They couldn't possibly have not gone to help somebody who was in need because that's what their intuition said. When statistically, it was very improbable that they had. And so what they were doing was disregarding, disregarding like obvious factual information instead of sticking with their biases. Anyway, all that comes back to the fact that people are, people are more likely to... Um, people are more likely to believe that statistically improbable um improbable things are true if it supports their intuitions or if their intuitions support it that comes back to this because i don't think that i'm necessarily an anomaly but i tend to actually handle a decent amount of lower body volume well and i've found doing high amounts of upper body volume both pressing and back work to be very difficult 
in the past and whether it's because I've loaded it too heavy, like in the case of pressing or, or whether it's because, and this comes back to probably another reason I'm not good at bench is when I was young and starting lifting weights, I did heaps and heaps and heaps of leg work and a little bit of upper body stuff. Um, so I've had, realistically, I've been lifting since I was 14, 15. So I've had 12 years of, of doing quite a lot of lower body training, but I didn't really train upper body much until towards when I was leaving school and I didn't do it properly at all. And I only really started training hard and frequently when I was doing powerlifting. So it's like five years of experience. So whether it's, whether it's one, the other, or a whole bunch of things, I seem to handle lots of lower body volume well and maybe not as much upper body volume well, you know. So, so yeah, I'm not quite sure. Um, but as a generalization... with you handling lots of pressing, I think part of the reason you don't is because you get little shoulder and elbow niggles from doing bad pressing. Yeah, for sure. And I like think you t- you've, you've done the movement slightly wrong for so long that it kind of just grinds away at those joints yeah for sure um but whether that's a consideration for how much training i should actually do or whether it's like if you make the training easy enough you won't do that wrong and then it'll never flare up so it's fine i'm not sure and i guess that's that's part of the beautiful learning journey of lifting isn't it you tied that in quite nicely will yeah thank you um anyway guys so you just learned a bit about psychology and not much about my bench press alec um yeah let's move on so so doing a bit of upper body pressing to try and get jacked up um per jules's request what about deadlifts um deadlifts for you have always been fine i think i mean you're not going to really get any stronger from city strength to now or to the fortress just based on how long you've been training and how advanced your deadlift is already so i think the main thing to do is just manage fatigue um, on the days and get in enough work that the nervous system is fired, fired up enough to give it give it a red hot crack on the day um, and give me enough of a sort of indication of to what you're capable of. So something that you've done... Um, sorry, quickly I should say I have five easy sets. So first it was five doubles, now it's five singles on my secondary deadlift day, which is on day two, so after my hard squats. And then I do hard deadlifts on day four. So... So I have a very easy deadlift day and then my hard deadlift day is a couple of ramping singles, which are still pretty easy and some rep work that is still pretty easy, but a decent number of sets. It's like, it was five or six sets, first block. Yeah, five fours and then five threes, I think. Yeah, something like that. So it's like, it's a decent amount of work, but it's nothing very hard. It's just work. Um, What I have noticed though that you've done differently between deadlift and squat is squat, I have pendulum squats, three sets of 20, and that's it for squat accessories. But deadlifts on both days, I actually have a, I, well, not a heap, but I have some hamstring-specific accessory work. Um, is there a reason, and I can think of one, why you would have given more hamstring accessory work for me as opposed to more sort of quaddy stuff with the squats? Um, I think because your secondary deadlift day is very little actual work, you need something else additional yeah, I think that- for the musculature. That's what I presumed. I was like, oh, if I'm not doing that much deadlift work, yeah. I just need the extra hamstring work. Because if you compare your um, deadlift day is five singles mm. to your easier squad day, which is four threes and then three fives, that's 12, that's 27, 27 reps, reps versus five reps. It's a lot different. Yeah, yeah, massive. And also if I'd made up that volume on deadlifts, that's so much more systemic stress. Where yeah, that's I right. just do some JHRs, it's yeah. like, okay. And hamstring curls, yeah. Yeah. Um, shout out John Paul Couchy, who, Kauki, 
who can't do 10 GHRs without help, even that's, though he has a world record deadlift. How that's cool disgraceful. That? And then when I was like, man, I can do GHRs for days, he's like, you must be doing them wrong. I was like, no, I'm just not abnormal. Um, anyway, yeah, shout out JP. Good on you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think for, for deadlifts, it's just getting an indication and enough stimulus to sort of prime the nervous system yeah. on the hard day and yeah, giving me an indication of what you're going to be capable of on the day. Um, then on the easy day, just managing fatigue and not sort of building extra stress in the lower back and stuff like that so that we don't have a re-flare up. Yeah, and what's been funny is I actually think most of my deads have moved reasonably well during this time um, between comps. Although I think it has been harder. Like if you were to say to me on paper, how hard do you reckon it would be for you to deadlift X ever? 90% of the time I'd say like of the lifts that you've given me this block, I'd have said really easy, not hard at all. Um, whereas it has actually felt quite hard, like versus my expectations, almost every deadlift day that I've had to do, not my easy days, my easy days are a joke, but like my hard days have actually felt much harder than I would have expected almost all the time ever. Why do you think that is? Probably just carryover fatigue, I think, from having done the comp previously. Sorry, technical difficulties there. Um, I unplugged Alex by accident just to deny him the right of reply. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think, it was, I think it was leftover fatigue from having done the comp previously. I turned around and was training two days after comp, like on an introductory week. But I think, yeah, I think it's mostly that, honestly, just because I do tend to... I do tend to go back to very, very light deadlifts after comp for at least a while. So, yeah, probably that. But in spite of things feeling tough-ish, I think technically my deadlift has felt good because I've had the opportunity to do just lots of pretty easy work. you know. And a bit like what I was saying with squats, because it's easy, I can be quite mindful of just doing it correctly. Um, and, you know, I feel relatively confident. So, you know, I think I pulled 272 last week. And when I was doing it, I was like a bit about the whole thing but then I looked back at it after and I was like oh I was actually that no, was pretty decent just felt blur but yeah um, your perspective I'll put on earmuffs how do you think it's going tell the people I won't listen I promise he hasn't put on earmuffs <laughs> I actually think it's going really well what do you think Will? Um, yeah it's alright um, client coach relationship could be better yeah, Will keeps fucking trying to troll me, and I just haven't haven't bit at all. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I I actually rickrolled him the other day. If anybody does, anybody even remember rickroll? That was funny because I fucking love that song. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, yeah, I smashed him. Um, yeah, I pretty much just sent Alex troll messages and then complained. But that's more. I mean, that's what a healthy client coach relationship is, isn't it? Mm, ask JP. Oh god, he he is so annoying. If like, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> there's your weekly shout out, JP, you dickhead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, look, things are going pretty well. Um, I'm a tiny bit niggly right now, but again, it's like three weeks out and that's probably just normal. Um, lifts are moving well and I'm very comfortable with exactly what the plan is and vaguely what I have to do and none of it's confused me or shocked me. So yeah, I think I'm just trying hardest-ish. And doing good. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Lovely. Um, yeah, still skinny though, Alex. It was like 89.2 this morning. I don't know what I'm going to do about that. I can't eat your calories for you as well. You know I, I, tried to, I tried to order you a pizza, but you didn't want any. Yeah, I was literally eating when you called me. 
I was eating a piece of fruit, a small one. Double up, man. <laughs> um, no, so I actually got myself a tub of, not a tub, I got myself ice cream last night, like a cup of ice cream. And it was quite windy last night. Um, for people in Sydney, it's Wednesday, I think the 15th of November, 14th of November. So you'll remember Tuesday, stiff sea breeze. Got my cup of ice cream <laughs> and I put it down. I was at an outdoor table. And the wind blew and literally blew my cup of ice cream off the table and spilt it everywhere. I didn't get to eat any. So I think the gods have said, we'll stay shredded. Nick Cheadle is trying to sabotage you. He sent the winds at you. So you can't eat. <laughs> yeah, that guy's got no hope. He's going to be nowhere near as shredded or as strong as me on the day. Except for maybe both. Except for both, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, Nick. You've got better hair than Matt. Disagree. Disagree. All right. Um, is there anything else you want to cover? Nah. Do you have any questions? Um, why I this isn't a question for you it's a question for the people I'm going to give them the answer because I was so curious why do flammable and inflammable mean the same thing that's a good question and I don't know you know well I've been wondering for a long time so I asked Tom Clark I'm surprised he hasn't put that on his story how does he know little fuck um, <laughs> I asked him he didn't know he was astonished turns out they don't really mean the same thing so flammable means it can be lit on fire whereas inflammable means that it can like combust spontaneously it doesn't need the presence of a flame to have burst into flames but the opposite this is the annoying thing the opposite of both the antonym those of you who like correct english the antonym of both is non-flammable it should be non-inflammable for non-inflammable things which would cover all flammable things so that's like squares and rectangles scenario think about that non-inflammable stuff can still be flammable that would nuke everyone's brain. That's probably why they didn't do that, hey? Yeah, I'm very confused right now. All right, anyway. Anyway, guys, yeah, we'll talk to you next week about probably something more powerlifting related. In fact, I can confirm who we're talking to next week. It's Jamie Smith. Jamie. Jamie. Welcome to the show, Jamie. You're the first person to get, like, a pre-show shout-out. What do you have to say about Jamie? Three words. 